Um, we are in the books of First and Second Corinthians. Today we're going to be in the first chapter of Second Corinthians. Last week we were in the first chapter of First Corinthians. So if you want to find Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, we're going to study that today. Now roll back to Easter. If you remember Easter, I told you some stories about a little boy. He's now 44 years of age, named John O'Leary, who caught himself on fire. You remember that story? He played, played with gasoline, blew up the garage, burned down the house. So I'm going to tell you some stories about him today because it so well illustrates really one verse that I want you to get today out of the second chapter of Corinthians, the very first verse. So John O'Leary says, my mom... She's a milkshake mom. She just would solve things with milkshakes. When I was her little bitty boy, um, he said I would you know, like fall over the bicycle with training wheels on. I'd be like four and a half, five years of age, skin up my knees. Mom would you know, blow on the cuts and say, here's a milkshake. He said, I was three years of age, and I fell in the pool. I'm at the bottom of the pool. All the adults are just watching me sink. And he said, my mom in a dress is the only one who jumps in. She jumps in, and she saves me. And um, she gave me a milkshake afterwards. And he said, my mom's just kind of a, a milkshake mom. He said, so here I am in the hospital. I'm nine years old, and I wake up. You know, I'm burned 100% of my body. I'm in the emergency room, scared to death, and I wake up, and the first thing my mom says to me, my milkshake mom, she says this, John, do you want to die? It's your choice, not mine. No, I, I, I don't want to die. I want to live. Then, John, you're going to have to fight for it with everything you've got. You're going to have to take the hand of God. You're going to have to race forward, and you are going to have to do this. Your dad and I will be with you every step of the way. But, John, you're going to have to fight for this like you've never fought before. And the reason I like that is the fact that that is exactly what your Heavenly Father is saying to you throughout the course of your life with all the pain and all the challenges and all the discomforts. Your heavenly Father is saying to you, do you want to break free? Do you want to go forward? Do you want to live? If you do, you're going to have to answer the phone. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to fight for it with everything you've got. You're going to have to take the hand of God, and you're going to have to be able to do this. Church folks will all be with you, but for you to go forward, you're going to have to fight like you've never fought before. So here's another story from his book. He said, I was nine years old. I had just spent almost five months in the hospital, endured a couple dozen surgeries, lost my fingers to amputation. The painful experience of being away from my family from continuous procedures was finally over. The struggle was over. The celebration was on. The hospital that had admitted me with no chance of surviving was now releasing me back to my family. I was now burned, scarred, bandaged, wheelchair-bound, but very much alive and very grateful. We pulled out of the parking lot, made the five-minute drive home, and turned onto our street. I was absolutely overwhelmed by all the cars, fire trucks, balloons, and friends lining our subdivision. Under the awning, a line formed of family, friends, classmates, neighbors, first responders, and community members welcoming us home. Music played, people cried. The miracle had happened. The boy had lived. Eventually, though, our friends went home. The cars pulled, pulled away. 
the front door shut. And we were left to decide how we'd move forward as a family. That night, Mom made my favorite meal, au gratin potatoes. I was a strange kid, no doubt, but that was my favorite meal. We sat around the kitchen table in our reconstructed house as a family for the first time since the night before the fire. Dad and Mom sat opposite ends of the table. Three of my sisters, Laura, Katie, and Susan, lined on one side with my brother Jim, my sister Amy, and me on the other side. Our family had been through inconceivable trials over the preceding months. We'd lost our home in a fire. My siblings had lost their parents to a near 24-7 hospital vigil. My brothers and sisters, ranging in age from 18 months to 17 years old, had been split up, staying with friends and relatives until the house was rebuilt. My parents almost lost their son. I'd lost my fingers, the ability to walk, and was scarred from my neck to my toes, and yet here we were, we had made it. Home, together, our family, changed, scarred, transformed, yet alive. And we were back eating together, cleaning up spilled milk and worrying about elbows on the table. Life would return to normal. But undoubtedly, a miracle had occurred, so tonight we celebrated. The food looked delicious. I closed my eyes and I smelled the cheesy goodness. Then opened them and realized I couldn't eat anything. Because of wrappings, splints, and my inability to hold a fork, I could not participate in my celebration meal. I stared at the plate, not quite sure what to do. My sister Amy, she saw me struggling, so she thoughtfully grabbed a fork, speared a few potatoes, and elevated them to my mouth. Then I heard it from my milkshake mom. Put that fork down, Amy. If John is hungry, he'll feed himself. I turned my head toward my mom. What did she just say? Put that fork down? He'll feed himself? What the heck, mom? I'm, I'm cleaning it up because we're at church, okay? <laughs> just, just want you to know that. <clears throat> yeah, I like my job. I'm going to keep my job, okay? <laughs> Haven't I already been through enough? Are you kidding me? I'm hungry and I can't eat? That night I cried at the table. I got mad at mom. I told her I could not do it, that I wasn't, it wasn't fair, and I'd been through enough. That night quickly shifted from celebration and laughter to upheaval and contention. The party was over. Mom had ruined it all. Yet that night also created another inflection point for a nine-year-old boy. As my siblings cleared their plates and my hunger and anger mounted, I wedged the fork between what remained of my two hands. Fingers had been amputated just above the bottom knuckles. Because the skin had not entirely healed, my hands were wrapped in thick gauze. I looked like a boxer fighting to get a fork between two boxing gloves. It was painstakingly slow. The fork repeatedly fell out of my grasp. But eventually, I awkwardly stabbed at the potatoes, brought them to my mouth, and I chewed them. And I stared angrily at my mom. I was mad. My hands throbbed. She'd ruined my night. I hated her. But I was eating. Looking back on it, it was a courageous stand my mom took. It must have been extremely painful for her to sit with the entire family watching her little guy. 
how much easier and seemingly more loving it would have been just to feed me those darn potatoes and bring out the ice cream cake. Pain. Everybody has it. Everybody has to figure out what to do with it. Everybody in this room has gone through something. Now, maybe you haven't set yourself on fire. Maybe you didn't blow up your parents' garage. Maybe you didn't burn down your parents' house. But everybody in this room has gone through some traumatic experiences. And I want to talk this morning about pain. Because when it comes to pain, there are only three doors. And all three of these doors are absolutely essential for us to understand. Everybody's got pain. I could start listing your pain. I could start listing the things that happened to you that weren't fair. I could start listing the things that you did that you shouldn't have done. I could start listing parents, grandparents, families, coaches, teachers, family members, neighbors, all those different things that have caused you pain. We could talk about the things that you've done that were really foolish that were really stupid. But I want to talk about today three doors of pain because there are only three doors. Instead of looking at the doors like this, door number one, door number two, and door number three, I'd rather you look at it like this. I don't have enough room. Door number one, and then door number two behind it, and then hopefully you'll get through to door number three. So let's think about it this way instead of like sideways. Because the first door that everybody has is the door of, I want to lose my pain. That is a door that everybody has. I've got this pain. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with it. And I've got to deal with it. So how do you lose your pain? Well, some of you over-medicate. Some of you drink too much. Some of you pretend that these events never happened. Some of you suppress these painful moments and experiences. And so what happens in in our lives is we go through our life and we try to lose this pain because we're not quite sure how to deal with it. This shouldn't have happened, or I wish it hadn't have happened, but regardless, it did. Now, what do I do with the pain in my life? Some of you, because of your pain, you're going to make more money than your dad, Some of you, because of your pain, you're going to be more successful than anybody else in your family. Some of you, because of your pain, you're going to have more toys. I I like that one. But you're going to have more toys than anybody else. Some of you, because of your pain, you're going to have more positions, more power, more prestige, more degrees. Because of your pain, you're going to show everybody around you, and you're going to be somebody because of all the pain in your life. Everybody has pain. It is universal. It's not just for Christians or non-Christians, women, men, poor, rich. Everybody suffers and has pain. A teacher says something to you that stuck with you for 40 years. A parent did something to you that has stuck with you for 50 years. Everybody in the house has pain. And so door number one is, I'm going to lose this pain I'm going to make enough money, I'm going to drink enough, I'm going to do drugs, I'm going to have these addictions, I'm going to have these habits, I'm going to somehow, I'm going to, I'm not going to deal with this. And so you try to lose your pain. The second door is I'm going to work through it. I'm going to work through my pain. And so maybe it's therapy, maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's connecting with different friends and family members to talk about some of these things. 
Um, Jesus would say, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I, I will give you rest. Jesus would say, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but thank God I have overcome the world. The scriptures would say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so the, the great opportunity to work through your pain is the church. And the church exalts Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, basically, let me help you with forgiveness. You can forgive her. You can forgive him. Let me help you with what happened in your life. Let me take your insecurities. Let me take your fear. Let me take your greed. Let me take your lust. Let me take all the different anxieties in your life, and I will help you to go forward. Now, go back to door number one. Because you've got pain, and how did you kind of work through it? Or, Or have you worked through it? Or are you trying to suppress it or ignore it or just deny it? We've got a really good friend of ours, Danita and I do, and her brother and her sister have just gone off the deep end. And she took her pain, and before she was a Christian, she took her pain to work through it and became a medical doctor. It's a great medical doctor. But looking back, she acknowledges that she then tried to not go the negative route, but still with the pain, not coming to Christ yet, she was going to have a degree and have a great career and make a lot of money and be somebody to work through her pain. So we'll get to door number three. Door number three is what you want to get to. But let me give you some scripture first of all. So we start, we are getting to scripture, we start with 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to give you just one key verse here in a minute, but here's the warm-up verse uh, before this. So what Paul says is, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So he cares and he can. Don't miss that. He cares. He is the Father of all compassion. He cares about your molestation. He cares about your bankruptcy. He cares about your abortion. He cares about those comments that were made to you. He cares about all the different things that have happened to you in your life. He cares about maybe some real alcoholic issues in your family. He cares about the drug. He cares about, and he can. The best part is, not only does he care, the best part is he can. Now, here's our our verse. That's the wind-up. Here's the pitch, okay? Here's Here's the verse. This amazing God... This is door number three. This is not just, you know, working through your pain, number two. This is not losing your pain, door door number one. This is a God who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, we're going to have troubles. You could turn to the person to your left and say, yeah, you ever had any trouble? You turn to the person to your right and say, you ever had any trouble? And if we're honest, we'd all in this room say, yeah, we've all had some troubles. So this is a God who helps you, this is door number two, who helps you, who comforts you with your troubles. Here's door number three. Door number three is the so that. Door number three is that you use your pain. Not that you lose it. Not that you just work through it, which you have to do, but that you somehow then be able to use that to help other people so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So we work through it, we receive this comfort from God, and then door number three, we're able to comfort those who have trouble with the comfort that we've already worked through. 
Now, who better in this room to work through with somebody who's going through a divorce than somebody who's been through a divorce? Who better in this room could talk to somebody who maybe has trouble with their kids or trouble with their teenagers than people in this room who struggle with people who have trouble with their teenagers? Who better in this room can talk to people who've been through some real business train wrecks than people in this room that have gone through some business train wrecks? And what the Apostle Paul is saying in the first chapter of the second book is, for heaven's sakes, work through it, let Christ comfort you, but then use it as a platform to help other people. Now, don't get lost on these verses, okay? Stick with the main verse, but, don't, but I want to share some more. But, but keep that verse right here in front of you. Deal? Where is it? Right here in front of you. All, all six of you. You're with me. Good. That's, that's great. All right, here we go. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. In other words, the greater the pressure, the greater His presence. The greater the pressure in your life, if you come to Christ, the greater His presence will be in your life. It's a promise from Jesus Himself. And, and, and Paul's saying we're not budging on this. We're not, we're, not, we're not watering this baby down. Our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you're going to share in the abundance of what Christ has to comfort you. And we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the prophet. Now he's getting personal. Now he's going to tell you about his own problems. Don't you love it when somebody's just raw and real like this and telling you some of their own challenges? We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised, despaired of life itself. You ever been so sad you thought about taking your own life? You ever been so overwhelmed by your own pain that you thought about even committing suicide? He says this, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God, who even, we've got so much confidence in God that he can even raise the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you have helped us by your prayers. That then many will give thanks on our behalf. So when you use your pain, other people notice it. Other people give thanks. Other people recognize that God has helped you with your insecurity or your fear or your pornography or your greed or your challenges or whatever it is. We will give thanks for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. Now, if you drop down another 10 chapters in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he's going to talk about how much pressure and pain he had. And he gets just real, real with us. As Paul just kind of lays it out. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country. This makes me tired, doesn't it, you? In danger in the sea, in danger from the false believers. 
I have labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, I've known thirst, and I've gone even without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all of the churches. And he's so concerned about the people, but he talks about the comfort that he has received. Let me ask you this question. How are you using your pain? How are you using the experiences that you've had in life to help those around you? Everybody wants to lose their pain. Everybody kind of wants to work through their pain, or at least most people do. But the people who are blessed the most are the ones who are able to help other people and use their pain. Now, you won't be able to use your pain if you hold some beliefs that are contrary to Scripture. You won't. These are showstoppers. I'm going to give you six right now. They're all on your app. They're all on your notes. If you want them, you can look in your phone app. You won't be able to use your pain if I feel justified in staying stuck because I was wronged. This is a showstopper. I was wronged. I'm not going to get over this. I'm not going to move forward. You won't be able to use your pain. You won't be able to use your pain. It it is someone else's responsibility to make this better for me. If you're waiting for that, hell could freeze over. (laughs) You won't get better. You won't. You won't be able to use your pain if you believe that somehow approving others' bad behavior. If I let this go, I'm somehow approving others' bad behavior. No, you're not. Bad behavior is bad behavior. Sinful behavior is sinful behavior. But how can you use it? How can you go forward? I need an apology. You know know what? If you need an apology, you just put your thermostat in somebody else's room, and now they control your temperature. Let me say that again. I demand, I need, I can't go forward. You just put your thermostat in their room, and now they control the temperature of your life. You never let somebody else control your temperature. That'll preach. Number three, you won't be able to use your pain if you believe that life is unfair. Well, of course life's unfair. Who said it was fair? Never has been fair, has it? It was so bad that it's not possible for me to heal. I'm not minimizing your pain. And again, I've had a front row seat to pain for 35 years. Another pastor in the room, Drew Mincers, one of my leaders and mentors in the room, been a pastor 14 years longer than I have. We've seen this, but we've also seen what Christ can do. We've seen that Christ can take those unhealthy habits and those unhealthy strongholds and destroy them. That's what Christ has the power to be able to do, and it's awesome. Well, this guy wasn't a Christian, Gene Paul Sartre, but look what he wrote. This is a guy who wasn't even a believer. He said, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Yeah, you take your pain and you use it to help somebody else. But here's what Jesus of Nazareth said. He said, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And that's what we put our hope into. All right, let's talk. Let's talk. How are you going to use your pain? I don't think you wear it like a billboard and it doesn't identify you. It doesn't, you don't go around telling everybody, look at me, look at me, listen to my story. It doesn't define you and it doesn't identify you. But here's what I do want to say. 
For those of you that have gone through a divorce, you probably see the signs of an unhealthy marriage faster than anybody else in this room. And you see those signs, and what can you do to maybe help somebody prevent that? Those of you that have maybe gone through some incredible economic challenges, you, you know the pattern, you know the path, you know the steps, you probably see something in somebody else before anybody else around you sees it. How can you take what you've learned, see what you see, and make a difference in the lives of all the people that are around you? I think that's using your pain. Again, you don't tell everybody your story. You wait, and you listen, and you watch, and when you see something that just doesn't smell right or look right because you've been through it, you ask for permission to speak into somebody else's life. I mean, think about this. What you've been through, why wouldn't we let God use it? Well, we're embarrassed. Well, we're ashamed. All our embarrassment, all our shame got put at the foot of the cross. We, we laid it all down. Isn't that a great song? Lay it all down, lay it all down. You don't want me to sing it. You want Stephen to sing it. But it's a great song. It's an awesome song. Lay it all down. Will Reagan, the foot, foot of Jesus. It's what you can do. It's how God can use you. Well, one last John O'Leary story. He's 44 years old last year, and he's public speaker all over the world, and he's in another country teaching this. And somebody, after the session was over, asked him this question. He's in front of a group of people, and they ask him this question. He's 44 now, not the little nine-year-old in the hospital. John, if you could go back in time, go back to that Saturday morning, go back to that moment when you picked up that gasoline and got burned, would you do it all again? I looked at him thought about it for a moment, and I answered honestly, yes. He looked at me with a puzzled expression. Would you really choose to almost die? Would you choose to be burned on 100% of your body? Would you actually opt for the fire, um, the desperate fight for your life, or spending five months in the hospital, or being barely able to function for another eight months after that? And would you seriously choose to walk through life with scars covering your body, fingers amputated, and whispering glances and pointing fingers every day of your life? Yes. And I'll tell you why. The fire was devastating, almost killed me, and certainly sparked a lifetime of challenges. But it also molded me into who I am today. Isn't that the point? So while it's true that if I had not been burned, I'd removed all those difficulties caused by the fire, it's also true that I'd destroyed all the gifts galvanized because of it. You see, everything beautiful and enriching in my life today was born through the tragedy of those flames. Through the painful ashes of recovery as a child, I grew in character, audacity, compassion, faithfulness, and drive. It led to a clear perspective on what actually matters and a bold vision for what's possible. Because of the fire, I don't take things for granted. I'm grateful for each day, and I'm certain that the best is yet to come. And I believe with all of my heart that God will help you to use your pain, and the best for you is yet to come. 
about three months ago when we were working on these messages and we're several months ahead, I asked the production team, there's about six or seven of them working on this, would you write a song on this? Would you write a song about pain? And I said, my observation is, you look at, listen to all these wonderful Christian songs today, and the Christian songs kind of help you work through the pain, but they're like an end in themselves. They're not a means to an end. And if you listen carefully to songs on the radio about pain, the songs kind of end at the foot of the cross. Now, that's great. That's great that we get to the foot of the cross. But I think the, the Scriptures teach us that we use our pain. So I asked them to write a song, and they did, and it's really good. Would you listen to them at this point? It's a brand-new song. Take my pain and 
Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to endure the pain of the cross. He's sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane while his three buddies are asleep several times. But because of what Jesus did, he endured the pain. That event now is able to save you and me from our sins. And that event is able to transform and change everything in my life and in yours. And because of that event, we can now, with the assurance of Christ, go forward with our lives and allow God to use us for love to help other people. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And um, if, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's a great day. That's where it all starts. It starts with Christ. It starts with the cross. If you would like for special prayer this morning for any of the pains in your life, and I'm not quite sure how to use this, come down front. And again, ask for prayer. Ask for people to pray for you, pray with you, and pray over you. But let me pray for you now as I close our service. We come to you, our gracious and merciful Savior, and we just thank you for how you endured the cross. You scorned the shame. And how you hung on that Roman cross for six hours, giving your life, your blood, your soul for the sake of mankind. And we love you and we adore you. Now, Lord, those things that happened to us that weren't our faults are terrible. They're awful. And even the things that we did and we knew we were doing them that were sinful was just foolish and unnecessary. And we lay all those right now at the feet of the cross. And we say to you, help us go forward. Teach us how to go forward. Make us wise in helping our family, our friends, our neighbors, the people that are around us, our associates at work, our colleagues. Thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you will use us for love. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.